time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 74 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them, too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Double chocolate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's delish. Are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am. How are you doing? Great. How are you? I'm good. The holiday is done. We had a great Easter. Easter brunch here at our house. How was your Easter? It was nice. We had brunch at my sister's and then went home and did stuff at our farm. It feels like Easter is a time for brunch. It's very brunchy. <laughs> it's, it's very, very brunchy. brunchy. It's a good time to have some family over and eat lots of eggs. Unfortunately, what I always say happens in spring has happened. It's cold. We can't get work done. And then all of a sudden it's hot and everything explodes and I don't have a lot of work done. Yeah, I feel like the temperature around here is definitely up and down like crazy. Yeah, yeah. One day it's super hot. We had a day a few weeks ago, it was 84. Oh, crazy. And then it's like 57. Right. So, you know, you can't get a lot of stuff done. I'm really trying to work on my beds, getting them cleaned out for the spring. And I also spent so much time working on soil in the runs because of the, the, zinc. the zinc issue. So now I have all of these things I have to plant. And my beds are getting ready, but they're not ready. So you have not planted the apple trees. They're healed into a container. (laughs) So they're temporarily, but they've got to go in the ground. I wanted to try growing cotton again. Yeah. And I found some old seeds I had for some Nankeen cotton. Yeah. So I soaked them all and I planted them and they're sprouting. And they need to go into the ground. You got a lot of work to do. I do. Yeah. We all do. The thing with cotton is it needs a really long growing season, which yeah. is why you start it early. Yeah. But it also needs to be on the ground and getting sunlight. Yeah. If I'm going to get any cotton off of it. The weather is just kind of rules everything. Yeah, it does. And spring is a wet time around here. It can be. It can be really rainy. April showers bring Mayflowers. Well, and you know, this is the uh, last week in April. You know what that means for me? What's that? Shearing time. Oh, yeah. So, Yay. And your shearer will probably call you like right when we have like a big thing planned or something. It has happened. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that's just for the sheep. I did the llamas and alpacas myself, but yes. But look, here's the thing. You don't cancel the shearer. Hey, you know what the other thing is? I did my own shearing of my three dogs like a month ago. Okay. In one day. And I was so itchy. <laughs> it went all the way through all my clothes. Like, I, it oh, was yeah. bad. Three dogs later. Woo! That's a good title of a book. They now have their spring cuts. Yeah. I need the sheep to have their spring cuts. It took me back to my days of working in the animal hospital, and we would do what was called a cut down. Uh And I was the only one that did them because I did them so well. Yes, I remember this story. I was the person. Yes. So they were like, oh, we're doing a cut down. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Like, And then people started, and some of the animals were aggressive, and that's why they would come in because we would sedate them. Okay, yeah. And it was much easier just to sedate them and clip them down. But man, by the end of the day, hair everywhere. yep. And you're so itchy. That's how it is when I share the llamas and alpacas. Sheep wool, because it has lanolin, tends to stick together in one big piece. Yeah. The llama and alpaca hair gets everywhere. I know. And then sometimes it like sticks through your clothing and like it's well, just I'm, even I'm more itchy. I'm usually sweaty, so it sticks to my skin. And yeah, it's good times. It's bad. 
Okay, so let's move on to chickens because they don't need to be shorn. That's one good thing about chickens here. So I'm going to ask everybody a big favor. If you're listening to our show and you're loving it, can you head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review? It does amazing things for our show. And the other thing is, can you hit that subscribe button? That's another thing that can really grow us. Absolutely. And when you subscribe to the show, it means you never miss an episode. You don't. You can also share your favorite episodes on social media. You can head over to our Etsy shop, check out the t-shirts we have on sale. You can visit Patreon, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership. We have a really nice group on Patreon. They're a lot of fun. And I am loving our Zoom calls. Yeah. They're growing and growing. Yeah. And the ladies that join us once a month. It's good stuff. It's really fun. The other thing you can do to help support the podcast is visit our website, use our affiliate links to buy products from our sponsors. Yay! We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. You can receive 25% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus all products ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein, perfect for those picky chickens or ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code COFFEELADIES25. Try it today. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chicken? Of course. Then, yeah. Let me just take a minute to tell you about the chicken love box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the mega box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with the chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the April box, I absolutely love the big pack of greens and fodder seeds and the sparkly chicken earrings. Those bath bombs smell so good. And that wind chime is going to look so cute out in my run. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Time for the Breed Spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Breed Spotlight. This week we are doing the Old English Game Fowl, which we have a lot of requests for this Breed Spotlight. Yeah, a lot of listener requests. So... I dragged my feet on this a little while because I knew that some of the history I really didn't want to have to delve into. Yeah. And the thing is, if we're going to look at everything history-wise, history is there. It is what it, it is. It doesn't change. You know, so we have to kind of explore it mm-hmm. and say, mm-hmm. where is this chicken now? But where did it come from? Sometimes the stories aren't always the best. Exactly. And this is a perfect example. Yes. So the Old English Game Fowl is one of the oldest breeds, certainly that came out of Europe. It was developed in England, but most sources credit the Romans for bringing the earliest versions into England for cockfighting. The Romans, they're always involved. Now, other historians differ. There's written evidence that the Britons already had chickens when the Romans arrived. And I lean this way. A lot of historians believe that it was the fighting part that the Romans introduced. We're not going to lie here. Romans are known for fighting themselves. What, like gladiators? Exactly. There are probably people that would bring it into the animal realm at that point. It's interesting. The perspective that I approach everything with is as a woman writing, female historian. Yeah. 
And so most of the really old poultry historians are male. And over and over, what I saw is that regardless of which origin theory they supported, they loved the idea of cockfighting. Yeah, it's enough to make your stomach turn. Absolutely. As backyard chicken ladies who love our chickens to the utmost, Mm -hmm. to hear about someone watching two chickens fight for pleasure, it just makes you want to throw up. It makes me pretty sick. And I love roosters, so it it bothers me even more. Yeah, but it's their history. It's their history. So according to Lewis Wright, the term game that we use to describe someone who's ready and willing or brave Mm -hmm. and tenacious, it comes straight from the Old English game fowl. Early on, they were also known as pit game fowl. Yeah. You'll see that. They're currently in the threatened category of the Livestock Conservancy's poultry conservation list. Okay. So definitely, they are considered a heritage breed. They are considered a rare breed. And they are turned the tables. Now they're just backyard chickens. They're also popular show chickens, which we'll talk about a little while. But normally, we don't even want to mention cockfighting. But it was the sole purpose of this breed for close to 2,000 years. And they were like every man's sport. So kings of England and commoners alike would keep fighting cocks and enjoyed watching the sport. Cockfighting was outlawed in England in 1835. Thank God. And then it was shored up again with the Cockfighting Act of 1952. In the U.S., cockfighting is illegal in all 50 states and Washington, D.C., And it's actually a felony in 42 states. Yeah. And, you know, the sad thing is, I believe it's still happening out there somewhere. It's it's still happening in pretty much every country in the world. Right. And they just need to find these rings and get the people who are organizing it and send them down the river. Sorry. They just need to. So do you know the first state in the U.S. that outlawed cockfighting? I don't. Massachusetts in 1836. Do you know the last state in the U.S. to abolish cockfighting? Louisiana. In 2008. That's wrong. Boo. Yeah. Boo, Sorry, we have a lot of Louisiana listeners and we love you, but boo. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It brings us talking about the history of this chicken to something that we don't want to talk about, but it's what this chicken came from. Right. It's It's ridiculous. It's offline detestable and we'll just leave it there. We'll leave it there and let's move on. So our old friend Edmund Oh my God. Edmund again. Well, there aren't that many poultry historians. Edmund, is, he's all over the stuff. He wrote that the gamecock is nearer in relation to the melee than most other birds. A lot of the game birds' features bear this out. They have that close, tight, hard feathering. Right. The slim and muscular build, the long legs and the long neck. One more icky thing as we move along. The breed standard actually calls for the cockerels to have their comb and waddles dubbed. This is the old word for trimmed or like having the points removed. Yeah. Not everyone does it. I see breeders who don't do it. It's the show standard. Right. So if you're going to show them, it has to be done. It's kind of like with dogs who get their ears cropped. Cropping ears, right, right. I never agreed with it, but there's lots and lots of people out there that do have it done because they want their breed to look a certain way. Right. I feel like you're born a certain way. That's the way you should look. Do you remember when we were in our early 20s and I found Annie the Boxer in Baltimore City? She'd been Mm -hmm. hit by a car. Annie had a ducked tail. Right. But her ears were natural. And she was the most beautiful boxer ever. Yeah. The ducked tail sometimes was meant to do not for a look, but for grooming purposes. And practical purposes, like in the terriers, things like that. Exactly. That's the only time I can kind of see it if it helps with that kind of thing. On farm dogs, a lot of times it was done to avoid something grabbing the dog's tail, the dog's tail getting caught in the yeah. gate, things like that. So, but yeah, the ears is purely for cosmetic Right, reasons. because they're better off with their ears down. Yeah, exactly. So. so, yeah, it's the same way with these chickens. 
When we were in Williamsburg in December, what was the breed that Elaine had? That was Game Bird. It was. Yeah, yeah. They and had, she and they yeah. didn't have them. And she said, you know, it was so that another bird can't grab them. Right, they've been dubbed, right, right. And grab them around there. Yeah. So it's still existing these days. Yeah. And because Williamsburg is historically accurate with right. their livestock, they do. I think they only had the one guy who was. I think he, they adopted him also. And he was a standard size. Yes, he was standard. Which brings us to the large fowl are still small bodied. Right. With your roosters weighing in at about four pounds and Not your heads. Yeah, and your heads a bit less than that. Bantams are under two pounds. And the bantams, I find, are more popular than the standard size of this breed. I think that the standards are most popular as show chickens. Yeah. And a lot of people keep the bantams as pets, which is why we see a lot of the bantams. Yeah. And I've never seen a dubbed bantam. I guess they might be for shows, but I've never seen one. Yeah. So here's the thing. They are known to be aggressive. They can be. But this is from way back in their genetic line right. being bred to fight. Right, exactly. I feel like there are a lot of breeders who have worked on breeding right. out the aggressiveness. The interesting thing is the Old English Game Bird has served as a foundation breed they in have. a lot of modern birds. Yes. And this is my other tip here. Don't confuse them with the large modern games, mm -hmm. which are a different breed, or the American game bantam. Exactly. It's Both kind, of those, kind of confusing because they're be. very all close in name and everything else. Right, right. The Old English game bantam were accepted by the APA in 1925, while the standard size Old English game birds were accepted in the APA in 1938, which is later than I thought they would be. And look, the bantam were accepted first. Yeah. So that kind of goes with what we're saying. The bantam are probably more popular than the standard. Probably. But I think they're getting a little bit more popular because we have had multiple listeners reach out to us asking about the history of this bird. I wish I could paint a more glowing picture, yeah. you know. It is their That's history. Their, their unique and history. And they have risen from the bottom. So hats off you're in a better place now and they've been alive for a very long time yeah i mean they've been around for a couple thousand they're years. tenacious i mean it's bred into them to survive right exactly so there were a few additional colors that were accepted in 1965 yeah a lot of colors yeah the old english game birds come in black breasted red brown red golden duckwing silver duckwing red pile white black spangled Blue-breasted red. Lemon blue. Blue-golden duckwing. Blue-silver duckwing. Self-blue. And the absolutely drop-dead gorgeous creole. Yeah. I love creole. Lots of colors. And the bantams come in even more. Yes. So the bantams include a Wheaton. Black-tail buff. Colombian. The cuckoo. The middle floor. And the brassy back. And the hens lay very small white eggs, and there may not be that many of them. We saw two extremes. We saw some breeders saying they got over 150 eggs. Yeah. And then we saw some breeders saying they only got like 40 or 50 eggs. So they'll go in my low category. Well, it might depend on the bloodline, but yeah. We but do. the little bantams are going to be more like a little companion that you're uh -huh. not really worried about the eggs anyway. So. Well, they do go broody. So they can sit on some eggs for you. Yeah, they you. can hatch a clutch for you. Both types do, but the bantam heads definitely oh, yeah. go broody. So, there are a couple of clubs. Okay. There's the Old English Game Club of America, which I think is both Bantams and Standard. Okay. And then in the UK, there's the Old English Game Bantam Club. Nice. And we will link both of these in the show notes. 
I have to say, this little bird, big bird, let's rise up from our past and have a great future. Show chickens and companion chickens. I mean, I, I really feel like that's a really good place for them to land. Exactly. I actually feel really uncomfortable with this breed spotlight because I feel like it's such a downer. It's the reality. It of is it. the reality. Yeah. Sometimes it's not fun, but we can't make up the history of this chicken. That's I mean, what it is. is this know? chicken has some serious longevity. They are very handsome chickens. They're cute little bantams. They come in gorgeous colors. Lots and lots of colors. Yeah. The only thing I can say is due to the genetic line going all the way back to the fighting, they are known to be a little aggressive. Yeah. So check your bloodlines if you're buying from a Check breeder. your bloodlines yeah. and you're really going to have to work with these birds from day one. You need to really handle them and work with or them. Or they might be great with people, but not other chickens. They might be not great in a mixed flock. Yeah. So they might be great with their hens, but woe be tied another rooster that they see. Yeah. So these are the things that you need to consider. And yeah, our breed spotlights are true to what they are. So sometimes it may not paint the best picture. Yeah. But we still have to report it. There it is. And there it is. The old English game bird. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. Are you looking for a vintage small farm feel for your egg packaging this year? Or are you looking to develop a unique brand image with custom packaging? The A-Carton store offers a wide variety of recyclable cartons, customizable stamps, poultry care products, and a robust customizing tool to design your own labels. Plus, they offer fast, free shipping on all cartons and labels. Visit acartonstore.com for all of your egg carton, label, stamp, and poultry care needs this spring. So let's move on to our main topic. Yeah. This month, we did our roundtable with our dear friend, Fiona, and we picked a topic because it's a hot topic. Another listener request it's and lots of requests for it. Lots of listener requests because it's hot right now. Yes. So we're going to talk all about breaking broodies with Fiona. So enjoy. Coffee with Fiona. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got the delay there. I'm going to have to come in early. I keep forgetting. Never mind. So, Hello. Is our Hello. monthly roundtable with Fiona. Hey, lady, how are you doing? I'm really good. We've got our first broody, Little Chocolate. Ooh. But yeah, so she is broody as anything. She's set flat as a pancake in the nest box at the moment. But <laughs> unfortunately, we've got avian influenza restrictions still and there's no date set for them being lifted. So for her, we've actually decided at the moment we're not going to give her eggs. It's hard when they're in confinement and you have other chickens around to have everything go as it normally does. 
That's the thing, because the broody hen and the chicks have to navigate around the outside of the flock to keep the chicks safe. So they tend to not be in with the rest of the flock, but they're walking around the outside, keeping the chicks a little bit separate. And even though we've got an enormous enclosure for a small number of chickens, it's still not big enough. 21 metres by three metres with 15 chickens, it's still not big enough for a broody hen to introduce chicks into that mix. So we want to be closer. Well, the welfare of our chickens is, I mean, you know how much I love my little hens. Yes. I mean, I'm obsessed. Yeah. That's why we're all friends because they come first, right? (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, be very responsible and waiting a little bit is the best. We're seeing lots of broody hen videos, lots of broody hen pictures. And getting getting messages, messages, right, about broody hens. So this month, we wanted the three of us to rack our brains and put out there, how do we break a broody hen in a good way? Right. And we all have different little ways that we do it, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I've got four. Perfect. I'll just say my method, and I wish I knew your methods before. My methods have always been take her off the nest box every day and put her outside. I've got quick, slower, slowest, and do nothing. That's why we asked Fiona, because she is the breeding yes. guru, the breeding expert here. And this is all part of that big breeding question, whether you're breeding or not. Right. That's what the chickens want. When they go broody, let's kind of first explain the whole process because once they go broody, that means they want to be a mama. And when it gets warmer, their body temperature rises a little bit. Those hormones do kick in and then it's be a mom, be a mom, be a mom and sit on a nest. And one of the best questions I get is, how do you make your chicken go broody? Really? Ah. Yeah, I get asked that an awful lot. You'd be surprised. And my answer is, always, there are a lot of videos out there that say there are these things you can try. But the reality is, it's a hormone and the hormones right. will start when the hormones start. It is more daylight hours and it's warmer weather conditions. Mm-hmm. And that's because those are the ideal times for chickens to raise chicks. So... At that point, the gland puts out prolactin, which is that broody hormone, and they just want to sit and sit and sit. Chickens are smart, you know. What is that prime time that we want our babies to be the healthiest? It's when it's a little warmer. If I have one of my girls who's a breed that's prone to go broody and I don't collect eggs for a, a couple of days, I have had girls starting to show broody signs because of that. My honeysuckle, who's half silky, will sit. If there are more than two or three eggs in that nest box, she will be on them. So I don't know if this is my imagination or true, but I'm manic about collecting eggs, especially from the broody girls. I can't see how that would stimulate the hormone. The weather conditions and the increase in the daylight hours as well, those conditions have to be there. I think at that point, if your hen is going to be broody, there are things which potentially the eggs might stimulate it. But if you haven't got those two conditions, you couldn't do it in midwinter. You know, if you left them with the eggs all winter, it's still never going to happen. But it might increase the possibility at that point. What's interesting is that from our Orpingtons, we have probably three out of four of our Orpingtons will brood in spring. Okay. okay. But then of every hen that broods in spring, one out of two will also brood again in autumn. And it's oh, wow. at that time point when the daylight hours are roughly equal. That mm-hmm. seems to be a trigger. So it's okay. at the equinox. That's when it really kicks mm-hmm. in. 
Okay. And I find that fascinating because the weather is still really warm, but you are coming towards colder months, but it's not cold yet. But as soon as that equinox kicks in, the hormones can start running again. But it does change the way they behave once the chicks are hatched. It doesn't change the broody part. In autumn, they'll stay with the chicks. In spring, they'll stay with them for six to eight weeks. If they have chicks in autumn, they'll stay with them for anything up to, we've, we had one chicken stay with her for 16 weeks. Oh, wow. It's colder. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like, and that was, me that's the reason why. Yeah. Huh. So let's go into what someone's going to see when their chicken is going broody because that word gets thrown around so much. What are the signs of being broody? Black chicken. Flat chicken. <laughs> Flat chicken is definite. You Pancake know, chicken. It's like having the air let out of them, isn't it? Yeah, they just get low and spread out. And in that nest box, yeah. you'll find a little pile of feathers from their chest because they want that skin on their chest where it's super warm to be against those eggs and keeping right. those eggs as warm as possible. They'll be plucking some of those feathers out yeah. of their chest. Just before they go broody, they will take longer to lay as well. And when they come oh. off the nest, you'll notice there's one or two feathers actually left in the nest. Okay. That's, that's a plucking sign, yeah. But they'll still be laying at that point. It's just that they remain in the box longer. Yeah. And they'll keep laying. And actually, what I found with the broody hens as well, for the first proper days of brooding, for the first up to two days, you'll still find they're laying an egg. They'll still yes. pop an egg out, okay. but they won't leave the nest. When they properly decided, right, I'm broody, I'm staying here, I'm not leaving, you'll still get eggs for two days. Well, they have to clear out the egg, the ova system, all of that stuff. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, very true. Before the hormones kick to the certain level. And then they're like, okay, there's nothing left. I'm on E. Right. Now I can sit on these. Once they go broody, they are not going to be laying anymore. Right. If you have a hen that's in the nest box and you've never seen a broody hen before, you'll see what Fiona means by the pancake hen because they spread (laughs) out over their eggs. Don't forget that noise. (laughs) <laughs> yes, and if you try to lift them out, they sound like an angry eagle chicken. Also <laughs> That's chicken. my name, eagle chicken. But you see, a little chocolate doesn't do that. She makes this little whimpering noise. Oh, God. She's yeah. so unusual. She doesn't try and bite. She doesn't get aggressive. She just sits there and kind of goes, Meh. Buttercup, for the first time a few weeks ago, it got warm. She kind of did a mini go birdie. And I picked her out and put her down. And this is the other thing that is a sign. They oh, take yeah. anything that's next to them and throw it on their back. Leaves. Throw it on their back. <laughs> throw it on their back. Fling it on their back. You can't see us, but I'm throwing it on my back. That's right what now. honeysuckle does. Yes. <laughs> when you lift them out and put them on the ground, they'll just sit there. Yes. Angry. <laughs> yep. That's what honeysuckle does. There were four eggs in the nest box. And so honey was in there with these eggs. So I took her out and put her on the ground and she started flinging things on her back as she does. And then she flattened out on the ground like a pancake. Yeah. Yeah. Just dug in. I took her eggs out. She yelled for like half an hour and that was the end of it. <laughs> yeah. And then they walk around and yell at you like, how dare you take me out of here? Yeah. So those are the things. Sometimes a chicken may be taking a longer time in a box if they're having trouble laying or if they just take a little longer to lay an egg. But if you see these other things, bare chest, pile of feathers in there. Eagle chicken. Eagle chicken flattened, (laughs) trying to cover the most. Pecking at you. If you take them out and then they throw things to their back, they're making the nest. And if you want to be certain, I have got a YouTube video on Is My Hen Broody? 
which shows all the visuals and all the sounds that will make as well. So it will guide you through each of those. So you know exactly what you're looking for. That's perfect, Fiona. Okay, so you have a broody hen. They can lose weight and condition if they sit on the nest the whole time. I'm a firm believer that a hen that is not hatching eggs needs to be broken from being broody. And there are different ways to do it, and that's what we're going to talk about. So these are the, the ways to help her along the process to speed it up as much as possible because hens who are broody do not come out of the coop very often. They only eat and drink maybe once or twice a day, Yeah, and they lose a lot of weight. And why put that stress on your hen's body if she's not being a mom? Right, because yeah. those things eventually shorten her life if you let her do it yes. over and over. Okay, Fiona, you had some short ways. The quickest ones, it's all about fooling the hen's body into stopping producing that broody hormone, the prolactin. And the only way to do that is to fool the hen's body into thinking it's coming into winter, coming into the colder months. So it's actually about cooling down that chest area. Mm -hmm. And there's two ways you can do that. One is cool packs on the chest, but Probably more common is what people do is use dog crates, you know, the cages, prop those up on bricks or breeze blocks. So there's clear space underneath. Put your broody hen in there. Now, not only is it a lot colder for them to sit, but it's really uncomfortable as well. So they don't really want to be sitting down very much. But please don't do that unless you're going to give them food and water inside. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's going to take a while. The ice pack was one of my tricks, but you're going to have to put an ice pack in every nest box you have because that brain yeah. head's going to say, okay, there's a nest box next door. I'm just going to walk in. And then you got everybody else laying an egg like, what are you trying to do to me yeah. here, woman? Are At least the dog it? crate method, it's just them and the dog crate. Yes, At least right. they're yes. on their own. And the air is circulating under their breasts, so they're not nestling down and making all that heat. It's recommended by vets here in the UK. So it it is one of these ones which I don't like it because it feels very unnatural personally, Mm -hmm. but that's that's just me. I don't actually think it's cruel because what you are doing in the long term is you're making sure that the hen is getting out, they're getting enough food, they're getting that body weight back up, that they're not going to be losing weight over time. But I don't personally use that. I use a slightly slower method. Holly Ann was a fan of the slower method. Yeah. That was the one you came to the table with. Which is essentially (laughs) removing your hand from the nest box two or three times a day. Or more. Or more, yeah. But you end up chasing them around because they just find somewhere else to sit. So you've got to keep lifting them up and moving them somewhere else and locking them out. And the thing is, if you're locking the nest box and stopping them getting in, where do the other hens go? Exactly. Right. right. That method is so hard unless you're just going to devote a whole day of being in that run. It's not really, I'm going to say sustainable. That's not quite the right word. Because as I told the two of you earlier, my last hen that went broody was Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is one of my Jersey Giants. (laughs) Sorry, I always laugh at the names. I love the names. Ruthie was in the nest box for a little over six weeks and she lost a lot of weight and I was worried and I could not... And this is before we were working with you, Fiona. So I hadn't ever heard the egg method, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. I would take her on the nest three, four times a day. She would move someplace else. I've done that too, to be honest with you. And it really, in Ruth's case, it didn't work. And she lost tons of weight. I felt like a terrible chicken mama. The other thing that I've done is if you take that chicken out and have another place to put her, Or let her, which we can't do this now with avian influenza, but I would take Josie out because she was always my broody. Oh, yeah. And let her walk around the perimeter outside and free range for a while to kind of try to cool that chest area down. Yeah. 
but you have to be able to spend that time yeah. to do that. That's again, taking her out constantly, making sure she's eating and drinking. There's also the timeout method with just a pop-up. You don't want anything to keep her warm, anywhere to make her more comfortable. Just food and water and a pop-up. And a pop-up. Yeah. And again, that allows that cool air. You do 30 minutes, then you put her back in. If she goes back in the nest box, you take her back out. <laughs> it's the same thing as a dog crate, basically. Yeah, it does take a lot of persistence and it's it done. really does work, but... There are the odd chicken, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who doesn't read the textbooks. They do the yeah. wrong thing. Every hen is different. And the other thing is you've got to be available to constantly chase them around. And yes, exactly. not everyone can do that. The egg method might be another alternative because that's one that I use and it's a little okay. bit slower. I give false eggs to my broody hens and they sit on them for seven to 10 days. You can, if it doesn't work after seven to 10 days, let them sit on them a little bit longer. Worst case scenario, 21 days, they will absolutely break. And that's the maximum yep. time. Because if you let them sit and do absolutely nothing, the longest one of mine is that is five and a half weeks. But you were saying earlier, six and a half weeks, was it, Holly? Yeah. It was successful. Wow. Weeks. Yeah. It's crazy. I was losing my mind. I really was. The other thing that if you're doing the egg method, you can make a few provisions to help the health of that chicken who's sitting on fake eggs. During yeah. the day, you can put a small bowl of food and water in front of her. Bowl of mash in with them is a really good idea. That, that's exactly. what I tend to do. Hot mash so, because they always then, go for that. Yeah. And then taking them out at seven to 10 days, it does cut it down by, you know, a third at least. And it gets it over with quicker. They're losing less weight. The thing that we're trying to say is that, that if you're not going to have a chicken be a mama, this is a lot of stress on her body with the starvation tactics that she's going to do. And yeah. it can cause health problems and shorten your hen's life. So if you're not going to hatch eggs, you need to try some of these things. It's really amazing to me how strong the hormonal drive is, how persistent yeah. they are. It's kind of remarkable in its own way. And the thing is, it's not uncommon just to put it out there that if your broody hen doesn't hatch and get chicks at the end, even if they do break, it is highly possible that they will go broody again oh yeah. and in quick succession. Frankie is case in point. So spring, she had her chicks and she raised them. Eight weeks later, she made them independent, came back on to lay two weeks after that went broody again. We wow. decided not to give her eggs. So we went through the egg method. 10 days, she broke absolutely fine. Two weeks, broody again. Wow. And she did this five times. Holy moly. She is and an Orpington though. I mean, yes. <laughs> and and that's to be fair, she has damage to her glands as well because yeah. well, she had the brain injury when she's yeah. when she was very young. It may be shooting huge amounts that shouldn't be shooting off into her body. That's yeah. the next thing that I wanted to bring up. If you don't want to be as concerned with a broody hen, this is why we do breed spotlights every week. There are breeds that are more prone to be broody than yes. others. Yeah. So talk about the Orpington. Yeah. Fiona and I both have Orpingtons, and <laughs> now Holly Ann does too. I You're do. a member of the Orpington Club. My two Jubilee Orpingtons who are Queen Victoria and Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> You're moving to the dark side, to Apparently the Orpington I side. To the Orpington Good side. Stuff. And we named our two little Orpingtons, Stella and Charlotte. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so if you don't want to deal with broody, then you may want to go with the Mediterranean breed. who <laughs> right. They're not known to go broody. Your top broody breeds. 
Orpingtons, Cochins, Silkies, Brahmas, Silkies. Old English pheasant fowl. A lot of the things that have old in their name. <laughs> old yeah, very breeds. much so. Yeah, That's the, how they've the gotten traditional to be old. Be breeds. Yeah, absolutely. But even those breeds which aren't notorious for going broody can go broody. We yeah. have had lots of cream leg bars over the years go broody. And they're not supposed to. So, yeah. No, and then not at all. are notorious for being broody creatures. Nankins yeah. have survived hundreds of years because Nankins are one of the best broody bantams. It's a ever. natural process. Yeah. So if you want to hatch your own eggs, then that's the way to go, you know? And oh, yeah. Letting them go broody, putting the eggs under, they're going to do everything they need to do. But it's a point of frustration when you don't want a broody hen, you can't break them. It, it is a point a, of frustration. Yeah. I've been yeah. Right now with the avian influenza issues, a lot of us have our chickens not free-ranging. Fiona, your chickens in the UK yeah. have yeah. to remain enclosed. And so that doesn't give you a good environment to let them hatch at this moment. No, not at all. We're just looking at the risk assessments that our government are putting out for avian influenza at the moment. We're looking at when the restrictions are likely to be lifted. They're sounding a little bit more hopeful. The risk levels haven't changed since December when the restrictions were first brought in. So the risk levels haven't come down, but the number of cases has significantly reduced. Good. Having said that, they're higher than previous years. But last year, the housing restrictions were lifted on the 31st of March. They haven't been lifted this year on the 31st of March. Right. And there's no date set yet. And even though the risk assessments haven't reduced the risk level, they're sounding a little bit more hopeful. They're talking about the warmer weather. They're talking about the risk of the disease becoming less and less as the wild birds fly away again. Right. So it's looking more hopeful. We're having to make a judgment call and decide what we're going to do. Now, worst case scenario, we have got at least three weeks from the point at which we decide to give eggs to a hen to the hatch point. And then we would be comfortable with some of our larger runs on coops to leave a broody hen with her chicks isolated from the big enclosure in a separate mm. coop and run for up to 10 days. So that gives us nearly a month, well, over a month to play with there. At the point when we get our next broody, we'll make a decision. Do we feel that it's likely in a month the restrictions are going to be lifted or not? And we'll make a decision at that point whether we're going to give them eggs. Being a chicken mom or dad, you have to understand the aspects of broodiness and whether or not you're going to hatch. If you're not going to hatch, I feel like it's a responsibility yeah. to try to break them in the least the destructive ways less possible. Less stress to them right. physically and emotionally that you can possibly provide. Right. That's why I really like the false egg method. Yeah. yeah it, I think it I'm going to try that work. this year if it happens. Yeah. They don't read the textbooks. It's not guaranteed, right. but, right. you know, it How does seem to How many do you put under, work. like, egg-wise? Chocolate's got four, and she's okay. on plaster of Paris eggs. You can buy rubber eggs, and actually rubber is a little bit better for them because they're warmer when you first put them underneath. Plaster of Paris oh. is actually quite cold. So I tend to run them under a hot water tap just to warm them a little bit before they go under the broody hair. Good idea. Yeah. And four eggs feels like a proper clutch for a hen. Right. So, yeah. 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 I used to do it with just two eggs, but it wasn't always working. I've found giving them a few more. It does seem to work better. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I like the idea that when they're sitting there for those days, we can add food and water in front of them just for a little while, making sure they're eating a little bit more. So you can still take them out and let them eat drink too, because they're going to go back in. If yeah. they're so broody, they'll have yeah. a snack and they'll go back in. Yeah. But if you can't, then at least during the day, say you're working Provide or something, them with a yeah. small bowl of mash or something in there for them. Yeah. I mean, not to lose weight just for nothing, basically. And it is important to keep checking their body condition. Mm. So keep popping your hands underneath. And DVM Poultry have a fantastic infographic, which shows the body condition index. So you can check to see whether your chicken is losing too much weight and getting to the point of being underweight, at which point intervene, use one of the faster methods. Exactly. That's what you have to keep an eye on because if you just say, oh, I'm just going to let them sit it out, Mm. they lose a lot of weight and become underweight at that point. And then they're susceptible for whatever can come around and they're not healthy enough. So chickens are small. I mean, we think about, you know, a six pound hen is a big hen, but they lose condition very quickly if they're not getting proper nutrition. That's really not a road you want to go down. Yeah. It can damage organs. It can damage neurological functions. But like we were saying, if you don't want to deal with this, there are breeds that tend to not go broody. So our favorite non-broody breeds are Leghorn, any of the Mediterranean, (laughs) right? I would have said crested cream leg bars, but we've had the odd one. Probably one in 10 crested cream leg bars for us have gone broody. Wow. But that's quite unusual. I know that. It's probably our own fault because we keep using the same breeder to get our eggs, but the hens that his eggs produce are prolific layers. They're amazing. Yeah. And the fertility of his flock is so high. I'm just throwing this out there as a complete speculation. Is it possible that the leg bars see all the other broody hens and they're like monkey see monkey do? Or maybe it actually affects their cycle? Maybe. I'm maybe because the ones which have gone broody don't brood the first year. They brood the second year. So while the orphan turns their first spring after being hatched, they will go broody. The crested cream leg bars will go through an entire year, another spring, another summer, and be, how old will they be then? They'll be 18 months old, and that's when they'll go broody for the first time. They're like, that looks fun. That's interesting. (laughs) Strange, isn't it? It is. It is. It's just another little theory that I threw out there because you have this core group of amazing broody Orpingtons that raise these chicks and the leg bars, you know. They want, I want babies too. You should have seen trouble there a few years ago with a group of Orpingtons. That was so funny. <laughs> because she was tiny. She was a very, very small crested cream leg bar. And by the time these Orpington chicks were six weeks old, they were towering over her. It was hilarious. But she was so good as a broody hen. It really was lovely to see. So I have the buff Orpingtons and then I have the lavender Orpingtons. And last year, the lavenders decide that they're going to go broody. And now this year we have the Jubilee. So next year, I'll be like, get out of the boxes. (laughs) But you keep getting them. You're a glutton for punishment. Because I love them so much. (laughs) Let's sum this all up. Let's know the signs of what your chicken's going to look like if she starts to go broody. She is... That is a pancake. Eagle chicken, bare-breasted. The thing is, as we said, that bare-breasted thing, when they're walking around, you can't see it. No. It's when they sit down, pop your hand underneath and you'll feel bare skin. Yes. Yeah. Very warm bare skin. 
It's oh, yeah. how warm they feel. The other yeah. sign is when you go to open the nest box, they will be making strange noises that they normally do not make at you. They will not want to come out or be lifted. And then they throw stuff on their back. Yeah. So once you have that, there are different kind of options you can do. You can put an ice pack under them. You can put them in an open air space dog run so that the air gets under the chest. The whole point is to lower the body temperature. Or you can keep taking them out. But I really like Fiona's. I think the one the that egg. we would all go yeah. with at this point would be putting the fake eggs under and cutting it down to basically seven to 10 days. And worst case scenario, if that doesn't work, if you leave them on for the whole 21-day cycle, that should do it. Take them away at day 21. Mm-hmm. It should, but they don't read the textbooks, as I say. So exactly. don't be afraid to mix and match. So if your slow method isn't working, go to one of the quicker methods to keep them as healthy as possible. Yeah. Watch Fiona's video. Yes. So we'll have, is my hen broody? That video will be linked in the show notes. If you go check out any of Fiona's videos about breeding English orpingtons on the English Country Life YouTube channel, you're going to learn a lot about this process just because you discuss so much about what it takes for a hen to hatch eggs. Don't forget on the podcast, we followed a broody hen through last year. So you can go back to those episodes and listen to those. We want to thank you for coming on again with us this month, sweet friend. I love it. We love talking over coffee. It's always a good time. So we will see you next month. Bye. Thanks, Fiona. Bye. We just want to say thank you to Fiona for another fantastic roundtable. It was so fun. Okay, let's move on to cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. And this week's crack in the eggs is pasta frittata with pesto. And this is your recipe. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it's a great way to use lots of eggs, which yeah. we're looking for right now. And it's also a great way to use leftover pasta. Okay. I will admit that I maybe have cooked pasta just to make this before because it's so good. Well, pesto is good in general. Yeah. And you can use pretty much any kind of pasta you want. I think it works best with spaghetti. Or capellini or one of the longer noodles. I tend to eat less spaghetti and more just pasta like Uh in various shapes. Penne or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But I've done it with that and it works fine. Yeah. So a couple things. This recipe likes your pasta to be slightly dry and all stuck together. Okay. And so what you do is you're going to put a little oil in your pan and you're going to put the whole big mass of stuck together pasta in there. Okay. And you're going to cook it a bit on each side till it gets a little brown and crispy. Don't go crazy. And then you're going to dump six beaten eggs, a little bit of milk or something to thin the eggs a bit. I use plain unsweetened oat milk to keep it dairy-free. You can add some herbs or things if you want to, but you're going to essentially pour those scrambled eggs over the pasta and let that baby cook. Okay. Now, do you make frittatas with the slide the frittata on the egg method? I let it cook on the stove, and then I move it under the broiler, basically, yeah. to cook the top. Yeah. So I don't do the flip. Yeah. Either way works. Yeah. Whichever one you want to do. This is very easy to make gluten-free and dairy-free. Oh, yeah. With just some substitutions. Yeah. And I like it with pesto on it. It's really good. Yeah. Any kind of pesto will work. You can make your own. I like basil pesto. I mean, that's a generic. I like sun-dried tomato pesto. Also delicious. Yeah. I like all of them. Yeah, they're good. And I also make pesto from the garlic crust, that invasive weed that oh, yeah. blooms in the spring. I love that, yeah. too. But again, whatever sauce you want to use, you don't have to use the pesto, but the pesto is so good on there. Yeah, you could just use pasta sauce. You could use pizza sauce. Yeah. Any of those things. And you can make this with pasta that's been sauced. You just want to let it dry well, a little bit. Well, I think it would be better to add it on top. 
I think so, too. Yeah. And then you could add cheese if you want to. Make so it your own. You can, yeah. It's cheese. a way to use your leftovers. You know, if you're a meat eater, you could crumble some bacon in there. You could do whatever you want with it. Actually, if you didn't do the pesto, but you did some sort of creamy cheese and a little bit of crumbled bacon, it could almost be like pasta frittata carbonara. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could be. It hits all of our qualifications for the spring. Uses lots of eggs. Oh, yeah. Uses some leftovers. You can make it your own. Easy to convert to gluten and dairy-free. You know what would be really tasty is if you have some fresh spring greens in your garden. Oh, yeah. Serve it with some fresh greens. Oh, definitely. Really good. Okay, so once again, if you have pictures or if you try it, let us know. We would love to see it. Okay, so now it's about that time that we move into retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. yeah. So this retail therapy is one that's been on our books for a long time. We've just been looking for the right time to actually do it. That's right. We are talking Emma Bridgewater Pottery. Yes. Which we are both huge fans of. And it's a good time to kind of throw yeah. it all in. We did the old English game bird. So let's keep it UK. Okay. So Emma Bridgewater Pottery. This is some amazing stuff. You cannot go wrong with Emma Bridgewater. She does a lot with chickens. A lot. And so she has a whole Rise and Shine collection, different breeds of chickens on there. If you're not familiar with Emma Bridgewater, several of her China lines have like writing on them. Yes. And so it's ridiculously cute stuff like, how do you take your eggs? Scrambled or poached around the rim of a plate with chickens. Yes. She also does hens on nests. Very large hens on nests. Yeah, they're, they're good size. Which both of us each own. Yeah. So this is something that we've been collecting and we've probably seen some of them. This week we can put our hens on the nest Yes, on. we can. We each have one. We can share them, show you which ones they are. We have put some of our pieces up right? with either, you know, a cupcake on the plate or a right. mug or whatever. We love it because it's different. The chickens are beautifully uh -huh. painted. The words, the rise and shine. Yeah. And the hens on the nest. I love the hens on the nest. I bought the hen on the nest that was released this spring, the daffodil hen. Right. Because daffodils are one of my favorites. And I did the one that was released in the fall. And I've actually been storing bantam eggs in her. Yeah. Because she's so big, I can fit the bantam eggs in there easily. And the box that these things come in. It's pretty cute. So cute. Yeah. You need to look it up. And she has so much. Now, like for Easter in the spring, she does a whole little egg line. Oh, yeah. There's also new spring chicken line. That is so pretty. Which a lot of people have been messaging us and uh -huh. saying, have you seen these plates? We've seen them. We have seen them. Pastel stylized chickens. And they're just adorable. She now has the cake tins, too, with the spring chickens. That's what we need. The spring chickens, there's a lot in that and line It's also right on now. some of her linens, so like on the tea towels and things like that. The what? oval spring chicken platter. Oh, my goodness. I haven't seen that before. <laughs> See? It's a platter with polka dots and this gorgeous chicken, and her Buff. feathers are like floral. She does look like a Buff Warpington. Wow. So for the chicken ladies like us, uh-huh. Everything that is in your world represent what you're really passionate about. We talk all the time about vintage chicken, about hens on nests. We find a lot of stuff out there, uh -huh. our plates, our cups, right. everything we do. Well, Emma Bridgewater is getting it now. And once you get it, it's instantly highly collectible. It is highly collectible. It holds its value well, which is good because these pieces are pricey. They're a little bit pricey. And what you have to understand is you're buying something that you're going to pass on. Probably, basically. yeah. 
like the platter, it's on sale for $85. It's a little more expensive, but it's something you're going to have forever and you're going to pass on. Now, you can also buy seconds, which is tiny flaws in the the China. Tiny flaws. I'm talking tiny. Right. And the prices are discounted. Right, right. So you can go that route. I've done that a few times. Uh Uh-huh. Holly Ann has given me stuff for Christmas from Emma Bridgewater. I was like, yeah, yay, so excited. Well, one of the things I tracked down was the Seabright plate because it's discontinued. And what I found was that if you tried to buy it secondhand on eBay, you're going to pay an arm and a leg for it. That's the thing I was just going to bring up too. So there is Emma Bridgewater US, but if you can find US distributors... Sometimes they'll still have the discontinued pieces, right. and that's how I got the Seabright plates. And here's the thing. She has many different lines, anything you can think of. You can also get it personalized. Yeah, a lot of it. And here's the other thing. If you can't get it right off her site, you're going to end up paying a lot more. Like yeah. Holly Ann said, if yep. you go to eBay, most people that are selling it are in the UK. And they're charging hefty, hefty shipping costs. The shipping cost sometimes is more than what you pay for the item. Well, right. a lot of times, like you say, oh, that's a great deal. And then you're going to pay $80 to ship it exactly. from the UK. So the best bet is to go straight to the website, Emma Bridgewater, the US site, yep. and look to see what you can get. She runs sales, she runs clearance, she runs seconds, and start collecting. This is something that you can collect piece by piece. And sometimes that's fun because- It is fun. I like it Over the way. holidays, you have something to tell your husband right. or your best friend. Right. They can buy you a piece here and there, and it's nice to put it together. And the tablescapes that you can make with this are amazing. She also has a really nice Christmas line. Yes, Lots you've of always Christmas talked stuff. about yeah. it. Polka dot egg tins. The teapots are gorgeous. Yeah. The cake tins I love. Uh-huh. And all the stuff for the spring. So pretty. It's really worth going over there. It's certainly worth taking a look. And in the U.S., go and look at the U.S. site. Uh-huh. In the U.K. over there, look at the U.K. site. You will be on this website for a very long time. <laughs> There's a lot to look at, yeah. a lot of different prints. Yep. If you look up collections, lots of collections, uh-huh. and then within the collections, all the different things. Right. There's also the chicken statues. Yes. They're now pricey. They're, those are quite pricey, yeah. But it's a good save up for or ask for a special gift. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So do yourself a favor. Go on, check out Emma Bridgewater. That's just adorable. You will not be disappointed. Okay, should we tell everybody what we're talking about next week? Next week, we're going to be spotlighting the Hedamora. Ooh. Yep, Swedish chicken. We're going to be talking to Kate Wild from Hens on Oxney. She was so sweet. She's really great. We're also going to talk about chick development. Yes, we are. Our recipe is a really delicious looking strawberry mousse. It's going to be a great springtime dessert. Yeah. And our retail therapy is chewy because they have a lot of new chicken stuff yes, out there. Yes, they do. Okay, so what should we tell everybody to do until we talk to them next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.